All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101Insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, It took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, We give you tips on how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, all of you wonderful citizens and crusaders of Crypt Nation that are out there tuning in to the Crypto 101 podcast today. It is your dutiful hosts, Bryce Paul and the Notorious Pizza Mind. We are joined by Konstantin Richter. Richter. I I studied a little bit of German. I think I botched it. But uh, Konstantin Richter. Uh, is the founder and the CEO of an awesome infrastructure company called Block Damon. And just like the, how the Richter scale measures the magnitude of seismic activity and earthquakes, I think that Constantine is going to have some earth-shattering news for us here today uh, about all the stuff that he's building here at Block Damon. Constantine, welcome. Well, thank to the you. Show. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I'm uh, very excited to be here and congratulations on the very good execution of uh, saying my last name. That was uh, fairly accurate, actually. So <laughs> I'm very impressed. Oh, my Lord. And Mr. Pizza Mind, Mr. Pizza Mind Malone, you're over in the Sin City currently. Is that correct? How's life treating you, brother? Yes, absolutely. Well, I'm up at 1030 in the morning in Las Vegas, so I must have made some horrible (laughs) mistakes in my life somewhere. But uh, they all led me to this moment, so I guess it's worthwhile. (laughs) Well, I'm super excited, Constantine. We spoke, um, you know, in the past about some things that you guys are working on, but I'm excited to to share a lot with uh, our community here today. But before we dive into Block Damon, uh, give us, I mean, you got a really fascinating background. Why don't you go ahead and, and kind of walk us through how you started as a software developer, you kind of transitioned to the life of an entrepreneur and then you found yourself here in in the wild west uh of crypto yeah no great uh yeah i always uh i feel my life these days is uh kind of a, a living dad joke uh, now that i have kids and stuff but 
I started out in uh, Germany, which is where they made me. And uh, I uh, left Germany when I was 18 and uh, studied in England and then worked, uh, and I'm going to fast pace some of this, but uh, I worked at telecommunication companies, uh, building mobile networks, really thinking about how to build network architecture and also how to build monetization models on top of these new network architectures. Um, and that's been something that I uh, enjoyed always uh, doing. And that's something I really enjoy doing in blockchain as well. And so there's an affinity there. I became an entrepreneur 10 years ago after working at like Deutsche Telekom and T-Mobile and Nokia and um, all such, you know, fine places really building uh, data infrastructure companies that facilitated the distribution of content. What that meant was uh, really building um, data architecture that allowed for a music file, for example, to be uh, transcoded and sent to a lot of different channels like Spotify, Rhapsody, Pandora, all these different music channels back in the day that, for example, existed, required you know a little bit of a different configuration and file size. And so how to automate a lot of this and how to store all this information. And so storage and distribution was something that I was interested in. And I built a few companies in that space. Um, I um, sold the last one in 2017. Uh, I was starting to fall in love with Bitcoin. Uh, before that, I bought some in 2012. Not enough to, you know, uh, not have to work anymore, but enough to had my curiosity um, uh, tickled. And uh, and then uh, we became a structural advisor to some companies in 2015. And then, you know, started to dabble in the space. And when I had finally some entrepreneurial time available, it was clear to me at that point that I wanted to build a blockchain company. And I was uh, uh, running an Ethereum node with uh, some help for some of the projects I was working with and invest, you know, studying up on. And I was just really uh, struggling to keep that Ethereum node in sync. And at the time, there was exuberant expectations about the potential of blockchain networks. And uh, when you were actually building and working with technology on the ground, um, they, you, you know, you saw all these limitations. Um, and so there was this delta between market expectation and reality of tech um, that, um, you know, kind of lit a little fuse uh, around um, what is needed in the space, which is the company uh, that now is Blockdaemon, uh, which is bringing cloud formation tooling really to the blockchain space. So uh, how to manage all these, uh, when we talk about distributed uh, uh, ledger technology, the distribution part means servers that you know sit wherever um, that are uh, all containing the same information at the same time, pinging each other and agreeing on the state of their respective worlds. And so how to help facilitate this, uh, that these nodes are efficient and healthy and functional without jeopardizing their security. And there's a lot we can learn from the cloud computation world. Um, and uh, our job is to uh, bridge these two worlds, right? So to bring crypto expertise and understanding of individual protocols into the realm of uh, sophisticated security standards and tooling um, that we've developed in adjacent ecosystems like cloud computing. And that's really, really important because uh, configuring nodes is a huge problem. If the average person wants to help a network and run a node, I mean, they have to be a developer level uh, of expertise or at least, you know, a fairly experienced system administrator but with what you guys are doing it's almost just simply drag and drop point and click to spin up a node in a cloud instance was this uh easy for you 
because of your background or was it a big challenge that you just happened to be able to overcome? Um, you know, I think it was uh, kind of a combination of both. Um, I think for us, the, the it, it, you know, it's not rocket science, uh, but the, the complexity in networks is specifically in decentralized networks that if they're adequately uh, distributed, that any individual, um, uh, you know, if, if too many nodes are functioning incorrectly, the security of the network is at risk. And so the trick is to be consistent every time and to have every node that is deployed and managed function perfectly. And so that's really the challenge. So it's it's consistency and monitoring that are the technical challenges. Um, it, running an individual node um, is uh, just very time consuming. And so I think for us, we wanted to uh, make that uh, easy for non-engineers so they don't have to worry about it. Meaning, or even engineers, you know, who make a choice between, do I want to spend a sufficient amount of time dive, dive deep into respective Discord channels, uh, you know, kind of look for the right software update, uh, make sure that I uh, function with the right uh, within the right subsection of the community, so you're not kind of getting tricked, for example, um, and and that just costs a lot of time. And so you can spend ten days a month, uh, you know, rejigging your node, or you can you know pay us to do it, click a button, and never have to worry about it. And then the trade-off. And the thing we're constantly thinking about is how do we also not become an agent of disruption in those networks? So what happens if block daemon, you know, I'm air quoting here, goes down? Um, and how is your node uh, really your node? And so that's really at the forefront of our thinking. And uh, some of it you can handle with contracts, like when people put their data on Amazon. Um, other bits are technical, where we actually also limit how we and who within block daemon can access particular nodes. Fascinating. Uh, you know, a lot of the conversation we're going to have today will be, you know, technological, but, you know, crypto is a social movement too. Um, and a lot of people kind of came to crypto and even crypto 101 through like this philosophy or this ideology that money mm-hmm. and currency uh, should be democratically controlled. And it, you know, basically empowers the citizen uh, over the government, for instance, or um, you know, we we want to own our own data, right? We don't. We're we're tired of a Google and a Facebook of the world coming in and being our our masters. So my question to you is like, for people who don't really understand blockchain, but they understand crypto as that social movement, like where does Block Damon fit in in that whole paradigm? Um. When you say blockchain, sorry, can you just elaborate so I understand perfectly what you mean? Sorry. Yeah, sure. Yeah, a lot of people understand what cryptocurrency is, but yeah. they don't really understand the technology behind it. So, can you just explain a little bit about where block like there like for instance Block Damon doesn't have a cryptocurrency, but it utilizes the same technology. So, what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, so you know, I think the big difference is so I'm um, so the cryptocurrency component are uh, tokens that sit on top of particular of a blockchain, and so they're you know separate incidences, but uh, sort of instances, and it's important to understand that. But uh, it really only uh, a blockchain without a token doesn't really make a lot of sense. One of the key thing is that the token allows for a very simple uh, transaction 
um, and, and, and it's something you can send to someone else. And the blockchain is the entity that locks that particular transaction, right? And so the distributed ledger technology is the accounting system underpinning a token. Right, and so the um, uh, token is a digital currency, um, and a token can represent a lot of different things, right? And so you have blockchains like Ethereum, where you can launch a bunch of different types of tokens on top of, to native blockchains that just allow for one particular type of token to be issued um, that represents a particular piece of value. But in order to um, send and receive a token, uh, for example, when you uh, and probably some of your listeners um, have you know, are aware, for example, uh, what happens when you go on Coinbase or, you know, an exchange, for example, for them to be able to receive tokens and, you know, put them in a wallet, they actually need to run a node. They need to run their own little server instance in order to actually physically receive these funds. And then ultimately, what you're doing when you're interacting with them is that you're uh, you know, really having shared access to their node infrastructure. But uh, that's really the accounting system that they all use. And it's important to run a full node for any professional uh, entity because it's the way to actually input a transaction in the ledger. So think of it as, you know, you have an accounting book, a physical book and a pen and paper. The book would be uh, the physical node. So the only way you can directly enter a transaction into the ledger is if you actually control a, a full node. Wow, that's a, that's really awesome. That's kind of a, a side of the story that you don't hear too often. So I really appreciate uh, all that kind of stuff. And I, I want to backtrack a little bit um, to to some of the things that you mentioned that Block Damon is providing. Uh, you know, payment centric. Uh, you know, provides service to payment-centric networks, kind of like mm-hmm. Cello and MobileCoin and Lightning Labs. Um, can you talk a little bit about what, what kind of work you're doing over here? Yeah, for sure. And so what's really interesting with um, payment, so, so when we talk about payment networks like Cielo or MobileCoin, for example, really what they are is they allow um, uh, mobile phones to uh, send payments. And so in a little bit of a different iteration, so for example, a mobile coin platform is more geared towards um, setting up payments within a messenger framework. And so uh, that's very powerful because the nodes actually physically uh, are uh, payment rails. And so it allows for payments to be made from A to B using a, a you know, cryptog- you know, cryptography secured uh, ledger system. And so it uh, allows for direct payments. We really like payment networks because if you think about the use cases that are actually uh, relevant for blockchains, uh, payment is a really, really clear one. Uh, you, you know, it's the one that's the closest to the market. Uh, payments are done, uh, you know, on the web. People use PayPal or Venmo or, you know, there's different systems available. And so uh, on the payment side of things with these newer chains, uh, the service functionality is uh, on par with those. Uh, it's just that they're cryptified and run by a decentralized blockchain underneath it. And so we feel it's the closest uh, blockchain application with uh, market relevance uh, that, uh, we've seen to date. That's a really interesting take on things. Uh, what are some other upcoming networks that you're excited to run nodes for someday? Uh, yeah, so we're really excited about, um, I mean, we like all networks. I mean, I have to be, uh, a little bit Switzerlandian that we provide ecosystem tooling, right? So we make it easy for people to run nodes across all major chains. Um, and so, 
Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Eufy Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition, and it has AI self-learning chips, so the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery, and it lasts around four months, but don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice, and also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recording. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward with each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I'm always excited about networks that are uh, really uh, moving towards more decentralization, which can be equated to having more nodes on a network because we sell nodes and work with nodes. Uh, we have good alignment with networks that are really true to the principle of decentralization of wanting um, thousands, tens of thousands of people to operate their node to achieve do, you know, really good decentralization. And so uh, you are uh, centralized, uh, the more individual um, uh, fault uh, tolerant uh, participants in a network you have, there's different degrees of what that means in terms of, uh, territorial location, which data networks are used like Amazon, Google, or in-house, et cetera, et cetera, that make up what a good decentralization looks like. Um, but ultimately, we like networks that can handle a lot of nodes. And so that's why we, for example, like Cielo, that's a network that's architected um, where it can actually have thousands of validators over time, which is actually fairly unique uh, in the space. Validators are uh, uh, validating transactions and most networks sort of cap that at a fixed number like 100 uh, in order to ensure network functionality um, and some networks are uh, architected that they can handle 
more than those. And so Cielo is a good example of a network like that. And uh, yeah, and so, you know, so we're also excited about networks like Libra, you know, anything that really brings cryptocurrencies towards a larger audience um, in an easy uh, and usable manner is what excites us because, you know, we're still very, very early days in this particular market. And, uh, and so we're very, very keen and eager to uh, keep tabs on, uh, you know, what are the projects that are going to impact the most people. Would you, would you say that there's any sort of institutional interest or institutional uh, adoption or, or corporate adoption or anything like that of, you know, DLT, right? Distributed ledger technology. And maybe a follow-up to that, or like, are there any pros and cons of institutions entering that sector? Um, so I'd say it happens slower uh, and faster than people think, first of all. So um, I think that um, the, you know, it's just difficult to integrate a decentralized open source uh, application framework into uh, a secure um, enterprise environment. And so, I, I, you know, that's a very difficult challenge. And if you consider even how flawed we are in the crypto verse are even with handling security and stuff like, you know, doing that on an enterprise industrial scale, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. So I think, um, you know, there's still a long way to go on industrial adoption of this, which is why we like the simpler uh, payment networks that start on a consumer level, like uh, a Libra or a Cielo. Um, I think on the enterprise side and institutional side, that said, we see a large uptake of uh, traditional institutions as well as new crypto-centric institutions. For us, a Coinbase is an enterprise, potential enterprise customer, for example. Um, But uh, we also think that it's super important for traditional institutions to come into the market. Uh, I am not uh, a believer that you can run systems at scale for people who need access to uh, financial infrastructure uh, without existing institutional backing. And so, yes, you can, you know, kind of think of Bitcoin and blockchain as something that can build a whole new ecosystem um, that uh, sort of, you know, kills the existing infrastructure, but the reality of technology and uh, financial systems and the way our societies are still operating, um, I think it's hard to achieve that at a scale um, that affects and really alleviates current problems. And so I think um, institutions entering this race is a good thing. Um, and we want to make sure that we work with them and educate them about what it means to uh, interface with uh, open source systems. How has the current pandemic and economic uncertainty accelerated the adoption of digital assets? I think the the... I definitely strengthened it. So first and foremost, just because it highlights uh, how much better digital money is over paper, which the American government was very aware of when, you know, you want to send out 300 million uh, checks uh, via paper and mail. Uh, that's a hard task. Imagine how easy that would have been with a digital dollar. Right. And so um, the simple logistics and uh, superiority of digital money versus paper I think uh, became more obvious, and uh, and we've seen that in some of the bills and and, and uh, solutions that were suggested in Congress and discussed and and things like that. And so I think it it, it accelerated um, the understanding as well as the necessity 
for digital currency and implementations on a more institutional framework like stable coins for governments, for example, which is a trend that uh, is uh, talked about a lot at this very moment uh, because of that. Uh, I also think that, and, and then there's a layer underneath, which is um, as well as the, in a world where, you know, the, the, the uh, Fed prints money and uh, ultimately pushes inflation uh, into a system and, uh, you know, to have um, alternative asset classes for uh, simple users uh, to purchase things like Bitcoin um, or like a gold type of thing is a good thing. And to have that in a digital format is also good because maybe, uh, you know, you want to make it easy to transfer it internationally uh, as well to escape certain uh, nation state rigors. You know, we, we're, we're all fortunate, uh, even in the current uh, political climate in the U.S., that we live in the U.S., there's still rights here, and uh, but there are other nations where um, we've seen those things um, heavily impacted, ranging from Venezuela to Argentina and stuff. And so there's a lot of uh, good reason. I think it just heightened and accelerated the understanding as well as the process to adoption for cryptocurrencies and blockchains. I definitely couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, from from that perspective of just like the necessity of this of this new sort of asset. Um, and just it being way easier to use and all that kind of stuff. But kind of anecdotally, uh, from like the investment side, I've never, ever had as many friends and family reach out to me, right? The crypto guy, uh, than they uh-huh. did like in March when they say, oh my uh-huh. gosh, the stock market is crashing. It looks like Bitcoin is like crashing as well. But I think now's a good time to get in. How do I get in? Where do I buy? All that kind of stuff. And so what what COVID really did in my mind for, for our space, just to kind of piggyback off what you were saying is like it obviated or, or, or made obvious the entire need for this, um, this new currency, this new investment class of, you know, asset essentially. And people were like, Hey, um, you know, there, you know, the government's pretty in $8 trillion. So that's going to go towards inflation and all that kind of stuff. So all of the assets are going to get repriced higher. But then you have this new sort of thing that's like kind of a currency, kind of an asset that is going to be going far higher, far quicker than any other asset class. And I think Paul Tudor Jones uh, kind of said it, said it best. He's like, look, we're, we're going through like an inflationary period. And when you bet, you bet on the fastest horse. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that's why he thinks, you know, crypto is going to be in Bitcoin probably specifically is going to have this really, really, really big uptick uh, in adoption and everybody's, you know, losing losing trust in the system and losing faith in the system. So it's, it's really cool to see that, you know, all around the world, uh, people, you know, no matter what, you know, race or religion or, you know, uh, nationality you are, you could opt out of your current, you know, government issued money and, and hop in to a global money like crypto and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm always really excited about that. But before we close out, Constantine, um, I want to ask you about some of the work that you guys are doing with some of these universities and research institutions. Uh, I've seen you guys are trying to safeguard some of the original uh, democratic ethos of blockchain. So could you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, in the, in the same 
sort of thought process around decentralization and helping a lot of people to run nodes. The other uh, thing we think a lot about is a term we call network custody, which is, uh, you know, who are good people to run nodes in a network and how do you ensure it's not just speculators and investors, custodians and exchanges who really interact with these networks purely from a financial perspective, right? And so all they care about is fee extraction and token value. And so I think um, because we're in early days and the you know these networks are innovative they're not linearly scaling um and we're all learning i think it's important or we th- we believe it's of paramount importance that uh, there's different stakeholders running nodes in a network that have different motivations outside of purely speculative ones and so universities are a great example of that universities have uh, one uh, you know, are curious as institutions around uh, studying new means uh, of technology and payments. Um, uh, cryptocurrency obviously impacts a lot of subjects uh, on an academic level around macroeconomics, microeconomics on uh, payment, financial institution, a big chunk of how we organize our society is affected by this. And so um, uh, interfacing with student bodies and uh, research um, uh, entities to actually study uh, consensus and and you know other impacts that these potential projects have is super important and so uh, we are spending um, a, a good amount of time working with the leading universities in the world onboarding them onto uh, some of the uh, these uh, uh, decentralized networks um, that we identify together with them that we think they should interact with because they're interesting there's things to study and so so that's uh, what we're uh, very actively doing. So really helping these institutions um, with uh, running validators in these networks, uh, sponsoring running validators because there is a cost component. And so that's uh, one of the areas we're very excited about always. That makes a ton of sense. And it, it sounds like you know it's, it's a job that is pretty rewarding too because you realize that it's not just about business sometimes, but it's about educating and it's about you know helping the academic world get involved in innovation and making sure that they're, you know, having classes about this kind of stuff too. It's funny. We, we hired somebody new here um, in the interview process. I was asking, well, like, have you ever heard of, you know, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin? And she was a finance major. She's like, Oh yeah. She goes, absolutely. She goes, we've actually, I had two courses on that. And I was like, Oh my God, like it's already, (laughs) it's already here. Like they're already starting to teach this stuff in academia. So I think that's really cool. Um, and something that anybody who's kind of investing in the space or maybe just taking a look at it is interested in it. It's something to keep in mind is like, look, this is definitely the new wave of the future. Um, and, you know, universities are are taking it very seriously, not only investing in research and partnering with companies like Block Damon, but, you know, also, you know, teaching this to their to their students. So. I thought that was really cool to hear. But uh, before we get out of here, there's a couple questions we like to ask every single uh, guest that comes on the show. And, and the first one, Constantine, uh, just gives us a little bit of color into, into you know who motivates you. And you know, I guess the question is, you know, of all the people that you've run into in the crypto space specifically, who's one person that has really made an impression on you uh, for the better? And, and tell us about that experience. In the crypto space. In the crypto space. Oh, good question. You know, um, let me think a little bit. Uh, you know, I think uh, the person that kind of really furthered my thinking is actually um, 
if you're someone who isn't super well known in the space, but actually had a lot to do with uh, bringing it forward, a gentleman called David Bailey, who owns Bitcoin Magazine. Um, he's been active in the space for a long time. Um, and him and I were collaborating on quite a few things really since 2015. Um, and so he's been somebody who educated me a lot about uh, Bitcoin, um, the market dynamics behind it, um, and uh, you know his enthusiasm and excitement around Bitcoin uh, was one of the main factors that also spurred me into ultimately falling in love with blockchain and starting Blockdaemon. Very cool. And what company or what uh, – actually, let's modify this question. What distributed network – do you think it's going to have the greatest impact on the crypto space going forward? Um, I think probably Libra. Fair. Why Why do you think Libra? Uh, just because the scale of having a payment mechanism within the Facebook Messenger uh, will bring, um, you know, another, where we maybe now have, let's say, a million active users, uh, it'll bring a billion active users, right? Like the magnitude of its network is just so vastly uh, larger than anything we've seen in crypto to date. Um, because we throw around these numbers, you know, but the actual heavy users of crypto, um, you know, I'm sure we're actually, you know, at a million uh, people. And so it's a thousand X on current active users. Wow. Very, very, very true. Yeah, I saw that there are... Um... There's anywhere between you know fifty and seventy-five million unique entities that might be uh, holders of of crypto, but I think you're probably pretty close to being right about you know daily active users. It, it can't be that much, and especially considering just you know we are below one percent penetration yeah. uh, for crypto, which is you know a really really good you know a lot of potential upside and stuff. So the last mm -hmm. question we like to ask everybody. Uh, is just tell us, you know, one word of wisdom from a guy who's been in the space a long time. Uh, if this was the first podcast somebody was listening to about crypto, what would you want them to know? Um, I think just what I would want them to know is that cryptocurrency is and uh, blockchain technology is the largest technical bet we have to elevate the human experience within our current capitalistic market systems. So I leave it at that. All right. Well, I actually agree. Well said. Well. <laughs> very well said. Very, uh, very short and to the point. Um, I love it. Thank Constantine, you. thank you so much for spending the last half hour with us. Uh, we look forward to seeing all the cool stuff that you guys come out with here pretty soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.